my wife and I came along to this church fellowship, you know, 16 years ago, whatever it was. There was five people in a living room. I had met Brian out surfing. Um, Brian scratched my, you know, phone number in his wax of his surfboard and, and called me up and gave me the details to his house. And I came along, and I, I can honestly say my, wife, my, life, my life has never been the same. Um, I had known the Lord. I had never been in fellowship. I was a student at Cal Poly. I was a rank pagan. Um, I lived like, like a rock star. You know, there was no bounds of my life that had not been not only crossed, but utterly crushed. Um, and somebody walked up to me at Cal Poly. And he had the old Campus Crusade for Spiritual Laws tract. You guys remember that? Okay, this guy did a terrible job. <laughs> he, he just came up, and, and, and it, the, the tract was falling, and it's got pages in it, the old little blue one, you know? And he just goes, you know, well, where is God in your life and stuff? And I was just utterly convicted to my core that I was a sinner and I needed salvation. And finally, I just stopped. I'm like, give me that. Let me just finish, you know? And, and we... <laughs> I go, look, bro, I go, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. And so we sat down and we prayed, and I came to know the Lord. And then I think he was so completely shocked that someone actually prayed with him. He, was, he just looked like a deer in the headlights. And he goes, well, welcome to the family of God. And he turned away, and he, he bolted. And there was a moment. It was, it was kind of, but there was a moment in my life where I was sitting in the quad area outside the old sandwich plant. I don't know if it's still there or not. At Cal Poly, and I was a new creation, but I was completely by myself. And I just remember looking to my right and to my left and just thinking, okay, what now? And I floundered for three years. And the next time the Lord really came back into my life, um, I had decided, I I didn't know what to do. I just didn't have a clue what to do with the Christian walk. Um, I had met... A, a, a beautiful young gal as I was at Cal Poly. And I see, looking out here over these folks today, there's so many of you who just remind me so much of, of my wife. You're at the exact same place in life, exact same place where I was when we met. And so much stands in front of you right now. And there's choices to be made. And some of you, several of you are going to be moving on. Some of you may be deployed, you know. Some of you are going to go out into marriage and vocation and life. And there's choices to be made. But I was sitting there, and and I'd gotten my girlfriend pregnant. And I didn't know what to do. I had been the beneficiary of a very good upbringing, a very stable upbringing. And here I was, a very young guy, out of my depth by far. I had gotten back from, I'd been down at Fort Benning in Georgia doing some reserve duty, and I was out surfing, and I met Brian. And I'm I'm just glad I did. And I came into this church fellowship. This is the first time today I've been in this building. It's a blessing to see. But ultimately, Brian just began to disciple me and to sow into my life and to sow into my wife's life. And Sherry and him began to, to love us. My daughter was the first child born in the, in the congregation. Um, she's, she's 16 now. She's beautiful. She's about 5'10", like her Aunt Kyla. And then Kyla and Eric come along here. And she's getting ready to go to Bible college next year. She's got her own car, she has a job, she's homeschooling, and she's just loving the Lord, and she's just an absolute portrait of grace. And my two boys, Owen and Caleb, they're 10 and 12 years old, and they, they love rugby, 
You know, they, they just, Jonah Lomi is their hero. You guys don't even know who Jonah is, do you? <laughs> okay, Google him. The guy's a legend. It was so funny. I was teaching Bible in schools. In New Zealand, we have the opportunity to go into schools, and they'll give you 45 minutes with a class, usually about 10-year-olds, and you teach them the Bible. And I just thought, what politically incorrect idiot is willing to give me 45 minutes with a bunch of kids? And I would just brainwash these kids for a year. I'm like, they're going to tell you about evolution? They are lying through their teeth. They know it's not true. You know, and these kids are like, oh, yeah. So anyways, I had mentioned this. I had mentioned Jonah in the Bible. And I go, I go, yeah, you know, Jonah's in the Bible. And this guy goes, I'm not surprised. My dad says that guy's a legend. And I'm like, Okay, anyway, different guy. But um, the reality is, is my wife and I went out to, to New Zealand, um, and I remember taking a walk down on the beach in Los Angeles, where my wife and I spent a lot of time. Um, we lived there for quite a few years. I spent about 15 years on the Central Coast, and um, my kids were all born in San Luis Obispo. But as we knew we were having a son, when my first son was born, my wife said, Okay, Dad, what, what sport are you going to coach? You know, what's it going to be? And I, I, we were living in California at the time. I said, honey, I, I want to coach rugby. You know, I played rugby at Cal Poly. I, I had played a little bit after that as well. And I, I want to coach rugby. My coach at Cal Poly was from New Zealand. And uh, my wife goes, come on. That's ridiculous. You know, you're not going to be able to coach rugby. Okay, I've coached rugby for about six years now. Um, my boys love it. They're, they're fantastic. My little son, Owen, in particular, is just a terror, you know, on the field. It's just fantastic to watch. And so as you delight in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. But we went out, um, like, like Brian said, about seven or eight years ago, and we served about two years at Calvary Chapel, Auckland, um, as associate pastor there. And then we went to a town called Rotorua. And Rotorua is in the midst of, it's sort of the, the cultural and central heartland of the Maori people. Um, the indigenous people of New Zealand. And we minister mostly amongst the, the Te Ottawa tribe or the Te Ottawa Iwi. And our particular heart is for the Maori people. Um, in New Zealand, it's really a bicultural society. We have Maori culture on one side, and then we have what we call Pakiha or, or white European culture on the other side. Pakiha is an interesting word. Um, it, people will tell you it means other. Okay. Well, actually, within Maori, it refers to a, a particular shade of pink that's on a pig that Maori felt the white people looked like. So, pot means white pig, basically. So, we, and, but it's a very political word that they use there. So, we, we don't particularly, we don't deny Pākehā people from coming to church, but we reach out to the Maori in particular. And we've just seen the Lord do a work there. We have... Um, have a building that we were given. We, we've been in that building for about five years now. Um, we, we didn't pay a dime for the building as far as rent for three years. It was just from the Lord. Uh, the day before I left to come here, about three days ago, we, were, we just got the keys to the, the, to the portion of the building below us because we're running out of room in children's ministry. Um, we want to do a coffee outreach. We have an expanding ministry um, with a residential Bible college um, coming to the city that we're in um, through Calvary Chapel. And the Lord's just expanding the work. But one of the things for me where it started was in this fellowship deciding to do what Brian was telling me to do. And that was to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. And, and that's what changed my life. 
See, the reality is, is I had been around Christian things for a long time. But when Brian came into my life, he was a guy who was that far in front of me. And being that far in front of me, he was able to lead me. And the reality is, is for many of you within your sphere of influence, you may not think you're mature, you may not think you're pastoral, but there's probably someone in your life, it may be a child, it may be children, it may be a spouse, it's probably a buddy. What do girls call their friend? You know, a girlfriend, what a, I hate that, I don't know what, but okay, it's probably a, a friend of some kind, or maybe a sibling, little brother or sister, whatever, but there's somebody who you're probably that far in front of. And there's things that we need to consider as we walk through life. And I just wanted to take us through 1 Corinthians, and I just have sort of four points to make here within the book of 1 Corinthians that are going to give us the opportunity or the ability to see how we can evaluate. Because as many of you go into those situations that you're going to face here in the very near future, Like I say, turning point. It's sort of a turning point Sunday to be here. You may find yourself in a place where you're not surrounded by good fellowship. And trust me, I've been out in the world on my own. You are involved in very good fellowship here. You get good Bible teaching. You get accountability. You're actually in a place where people are going to provoke you to righteousness and not to sin. And many of you may find yourself out in a place where you're going to be on your own. And you're not going to have the ability to have people around you say, well, brother, you shouldn't do that. And so the question often comes up. People go, well, what what should I do? I I don't know what to do in this situation. I don't know what to do in that situation. I'm not sure about this person. I'm not sure about inserting myself in that social situation. I don't know if I should take that job. Here's four things that someone pointed out to me a while ago that have been really sort of transforming in just putting the Christian walk, decisions to be made in Christ, into a very convenient package to be looked at. The first thing we do is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31, we study what we'd call sort of the motivation. The motivation that you have to have in the, in the, the tasks, the things that you do to undertake. And it says there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. You must glory in the Lord. I want you to skip up to verse 29 there in chapter 1. And it says that no flesh should glory in his presence. The reality is, is within the culture we live in, and it's not, uh, it it doesn't particularly attach itself to California. I, I think California is very brazen in the way it sort of demonstrates it, but we have a tendency as humans, and if you're in Rotorua, New Zealand, or if you're in Thai Happy, New Zealand, or if you're in, you know, San Luis Obispo. There's a tendency for you and I as humans to glory in our flesh. To glory in us. But the motivation of your heart needs to be to glorify the Lord. If you're going to glory, glorify the Lord. So that's your motivation. Now now realizing that, you have to say, here's what's going to motivate me, the glory of God. Ultimately, how am I going to do that? Not necessarily the process, but the heart that I'm going to use to get there. And Paul sums this up at the end, chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, chapter 16, verse 14. Very simple verse. It says, let all that you do be done with love. So here's your bookends for any choice you're going to make. Here's the the entirety of the box that you're going to use. What's your motivation? The glory of God. 
What's my operation? How am I going to do this? I'm going to do it through love. I'm going to glorify God through love. Now, four questions that you're going to ask yourself. And this can go anywhere from the, the small, what outfit do I wear today, to the great, what job am I going to take, what spouse am I going to marry, whatever, and everywhere in between. Should I go out to that pub, bar, whatever? So the first question that we take a look at here is really a statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Now I want to point out, within 1 Corinthians, a lot of times we use it as a, as a doctrinal book. And I'm not saying there's not doctrine in it. There is very, uh, quite a bit of doctrine in the book of 1 Corinthians. But we so often jump in and say, oh, people are struggling with their use of the spiritual gifts. Quick, boom, jump into 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. You know, oh, people are struggling with the idea of resurrection life. Boom, jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Oh, the Lord's table, communion, you know, which we're partaking of today. Boom, let's jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But what Paul does is he spends 10 chapters developing a heart. See, we want to jump in to the outflow. But Paul spends 10 chapters developing a heart. If you got the heart right, the actions are always going to follow. And so the first thing he says in chapter 3, verse 16, he says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? First thing's a statement. You are not your own. Do you understand that? If you're a Christian, you have been bought with a price. And in buying you with a price, you are, you, are, you are in the position of a son, but you are to, son of God, slave of men. Basically, we're, we're to be slaves. But we have to realize that I have now been brought under the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the instruction of the Word of God. So if somebody can come to you and point you chapter and verse where there's something in your life that you're doing that is incorrect or can motivate you. You know, when I went to Rotorua in, in New Zealand, it wasn't like, you know, the Lord stopped me on the road and knocked me off my donkey, you know, and said, Scott, you know, and told me to go. And I'm, yeah, okay, yes, Lord, Rotorua, right. No, the Lord said, go and make disciples of all the world. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, signs and wonders will follow. And I had watched my pastor, Brian, do that. You know, coming up to San Luis Obispo, just stepping out, walking in the Lord. And I just watched him walk by faith. And as I did, I kind of thought, I think I'm supposed to go to New Zealand. I, I never, I, I just... I had a confidence in the Lord, but there was never any definitive term that said, or, or instruction that said, go do it. I had to step out. Now, the Lord has confirmed that in spades. And in looking back, I can tell you he was completely in it. But you're going to have to jump first and then look for a soft place to land at some point. It's called walking by faith. Lord, if you give me $30,000, I'll go on a mission trip. I love bake sales, by the way. I'm so happy I was here on like sort of mission Sunday, you know, best part of mission trips. But I am not my own. I belong to the Lord. And so when he tells me to do something or when he asks me to do something, I don't understand Christians. I, I don't. Who are like, yeah, I, I just don't feel like doing that. Oh, wow, your, your army's different than my army. You know, I, I don't get to do things based on my emotions or my feeling with, with the God whom I serve. He says jump, I say how high, or I ask him when I can land. At the end of the day, we step out. I am not my own. Now, secondly, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. And, and what I've done in my Bible is I've just highlighted these things. Very quick, it works progressively through. I, I started out in chapter 1 with to the glory of God, and I end it in chapter 16 
all things be done in love, and I take people through it. Because if you don't struggle in this area, and I'll bet most of you do, you will run into people who do. And you need to be able to just turn them through, walk them through it in your Bible, and show them in the Word of God. The other thing you need to do is we did this over about four weeks at our church, and I'm giving it all to you in a week, so you can go from here and apply it in your life. So I am not my own. Now, chapter 6, verse 12, it says, all things are lawful for me. Did any of you know that? In the Christian walk, you are not under the law of Moses. You can do whatever you want. A lot of people, they put a full stop there when there's actually a comma. They say, all things are lawful to me, period. No. No. All things are lawful to you, but it goes on. It says, but all things are not helpful or profitable. The thing that you're praying about doing, that thing that you want to go out and do or accomplish, is it going to be helpful to you? You can do it. But is it going to be helpful to you? Now it goes on and it says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be under the power of any or mastered. You are not your own. You already have a master. I don't know how many of you have struggled under the oppression of a hard master. Whether it be drugs or alcohol or, you know, bad relationships or whatever. But in Christ, you have been set free and put under a good and benevolent master. Don't put yourself under anything that's going to master you again. Is this thing I'm doing going to be helpful for me? You know, at the end of the day, it may be that you can go out and drink a couple beers, and it's just not a big deal. You know, yeah, I'm fine with that. Not a problem. I, I, for me, in the culture that I minister in, in the Maori culture in New Zealand, it has been decimated by alcohol. It, they are a very noble people with an incredible heritage and past. They have a beautiful language, and they're very regal. But I have seen alcohol ravage their society and community in probably the last 60 years. The things that are prevalent there, almost all of them are brought on by alcohol. Am I free to go out and drink wine, to drink beer or whatever? I am absolutely free. It is a conviction that you take before the Lord. I can do whatever I want. But if those people there see me, is that going to be, one, helpful to them or helpful to me? I have to ask myself that. Is it helpful to me? Is it going to build me up? Now, it may be that it's fine with you, but go to chapter 8, verse 9. Chapter 8, verse 9, it says, Beware, and this is what I was just alluding to. And that word, it means to be on guard. In other words, don't be lazy. And I'd have to ask you, as I read this statement, how many of you are being on guard in this area? It says, beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. Now, what's this saying here? Okay, you may be free to do something, and it's no problem, but be on guard. In other words, be actively looking to where there may be a situation that, even if it's a freedom to you, it could stumble someone else. And like I say, for me, in in this area of alcohol, having seen what it has done to so many in in my community, I've just decided this is something I'm not going to do. That that the people in my church can make whatever choice they want, but they'll have a pastor who says, look, I'm not going to do that. And if you want to follow me, you're fine to come along, but that's just something I'm not going to do. Now, within our community, um, 
very volatile people. And, and that's not a problem if you're serving with sort of a small ethnicity, okay? People are small. But Maori people are known for just being massive, and they're huge people. Um, as I mentioned in first service, I've been uh, assaulted in church on numerous occasions. Um, they're very quick to their fists. Our elders, as we raise them up, especially the deacons, I want to know what they can do on a speed bag. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't just rate, you know? I'm like, okay, see what you can do with that guy right there. You know, it, I need guys around me who can actually protect. But there are also men who are called by the Lord. Um, do anybody know who David Tua is? Anybody into boxing? David Tua, one, you got to be, two people. Okay, David Tua is a legend in New Zealand, all right? He's a Samoan guy who grew up in New Zealand, and he's a boxer. And he's just, he's working his way back up again to a heavyweight uh, title bout. One of our deacons um, was basically put into a situation where he was David Tua's sparring partner. And David Tua's manager pulled him because he was doing too much damage to Tua. And I thought, yeah, you're, you're a deacon, brother. You're, you're in. But ultimately, we've seen what it's done within the family unit as well. And things like uh, spousal abuse are, are common within my church. Not people who are given over to these things, but people who struggle with these things. Now, I grew up like many of you, a, a basically upper middle class background. Um, I had never even known anyone who had abused their spouse. Now there's people in my church who love the Lord very much, but their first reaction, because they've grown up in it, is bang. There's no thought that's the first reaction. I see the guys get drunk, and I see them have to prove themselves, and I see them smack their buddies around. One of our, the same guy, his brother is the worship leader, and he's one of our deacons. Um, their dad just got shot. He, he lived, but he just got shot. I didn't know people had been shot. Maybe in Afghanistan or something, you know what I mean? But not by their, it was, and it was his brother-in-law who shot him. We had a gal just ask in church um, to be involved in children's ministry. And my wife was like, honey, come here. You know, I'm like, you know, she was a prostitute like a year ago. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, um, yeah, I'll pray about it. You know, I, and I still don't, I, I honestly, I left that one hanging when I left. I still don't know what to do. I didn't know people like that. But it stems from alcohol. So I may have a freedom. And you may have a freedom. But will that freedom stumble someone else? Now, guys, maybe that's you with the alcohol, and you're thinking, okay, maybe I do need to sort of pray about that. Maybe I do need to curtail that. But at the end of the day, ladies, I've just been told, we were driving up here, and I just had the windows down. I live in a place where it's sopping wet, okay? Everybody sees New Zealand, and they're like, oh, it's so beautiful and green. And I'm like, I would take brown, you know, any day of the week. I mean, it, it was... it rains, it just buckets constantly. You know, any given day, and it doesn't even bother you. It'll be like, Torrential rain in California, and then the farmers are like, ah, yeah, mate, it's just spitting, you know? Like, and I'm like, okay, whatever. Ultimately, it was, we were driving here, and it, I had the windows down. It just felt like I was in a blow dryer, you know? It was just like hot, dry. Even right now, I'm parched, okay? You know, hot, dry weather, and it was lovely. But somebody told me, hey, the, the hot weather just came out. Ah, so what happens, ladies? You know, dust out the old frocks, if I could call them that, you know. And, and suddenly, you know, like in New Zealand, we wear clothes. I, it's just how we are. It's cold there. It's wet. Okay, I come to California, nobody wears clothes. It's like they're optional or something. I don't understand how that works. Now, you may have the freedom, sisters, to wear that. 
but will your freedom stumbles others? Now, let me explain something. Many of you have grown up in homes without fathers. And it's often up to a dad to explain these things. Because my wife had told me, Scott, I never understood how men were wired until I got married. I never understood until, until I began to become one with my husband and he shared with me, being me, you know, the things that I struggled with and whatnot. I never understood that me doing that could stumble somebody. And not in this building, but within this congregation, I have prayed with brothers who have been stumbled within the congregation of God. And so what I'm saying, you know, and, and, and their heart is to be pure and right before the Lord. And, and if a sister is not helping them, I don't say that to condemn anyone. I'm not picking on anyone here today. My eyesight isn't good enough anymore. You think I'm, Brian's old now. Yes, he is. Okay, but if he is, then so am I, unfortunately, you know, the reality. But at the end of the day, there is a liberty that you may have and a freedom you may have that may be stumbling others. Now, that doesn't mean, oh, okay, so I need to put on sort of my Victorian, you know, frock for church, and I can go wear the, you know, Daisy Duke shorts to, you know, to, you guys don't even know who Daisy Duke is, do you? <laughs> You're all like 11. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, I can go wear whatever, up to Cal Poly or whatever. No, that's not how it works. I'm not my own. Is this thing I'm doing helpful to me? Is it going to stumble others? Questions that we have to ask ourselves. When we look in the mirror in the morning, when we pray about that spouse we would get, when we go out and decide what job to take, if I decide if I'm going to go out with my buddies and watch the rugby instead of going home and hanging out with my family, when I decide what movies I'm going to go see. And then finally, fourthly, chapter 10, verse 31 It says, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Okay, how much is all, folks? It's all. What do you do? One of the questions that the Lord asked me when I was back living here on the Central Coast and I was at Cal Poly and I'd been chatting with Brian about a few things and a few things in my life that were probably going wrong at the time. And... I had left the conversation with, with a, a, a thought on my heart that I felt feel was from the Lord. And the thought was, Scott, son, can you bring glory to me with a beer in your hand? And I have to say, now, this is, if this is a conversation that you have not had with the Lord, you have to have it with him yourself. I'll never project this onto someone else, but this is a conversation that I had with the Lord. And I had to say, No. I don't think I can. I can't envision a scenario where I can bring glory to God with a beer in my hand. He said, well, is that the goal of your life? I said, a beer in my hand? Yeah, for a long time it was. Uh, But it's not anymore. Now the goal of my life is to bring glory to God. And so he says, well, what do you need to do then? So I don't put beer in my hand anymore. I drink it from a straw on the table. Ultimately, I I decided it's something I'm not going to do. And I'm blessed because it serves me well in the, in the, the culture that I, I, I minister in now. It serves me well. And so we have those bookends. My motivation is the glory of God. The operation by which I do that is through love. And I have to remember, I am not my own. 
And then as and when I do things, I have to ask myself, is this helpful for me? Is this possibly bringing me under its dominion or its mastership? I already have a master. Folks, you can't serve two masters. Anybody found that? Don't raise your hands. Just take it at my word. You cannot serve two masters. Will this have an effect on others? Will it glorify God? Now, it's funny because after chapter 10, that's where Paul gets into some very interesting points. He's set up the heart. He's used a few examples through chapter 1 through 10 to set up the heart. But once he has the heart, then he goes down a list. Uh, What's the style of worship we have with the Lord's Supper? Um, The gifts of the Holy Spirit, what are they? How do they operate? What is love? What is the resurrection life? Tithes and offerings, chapter 16. He talks about these things after he set up the heart. And for me, I think if I could just share those four verses with any maturing Christian, maybe not, you know, a brand new Christian, it doesn't hurt to put that into him, but anyone who's maturing who's saying, Scott, I'm about to go out those doors and face life outside this womb or this sort of community or this, you know, incubator. I'm about to go out those doors and face life out there. What, what do I do? That would be all I would share with them. Take those four verses and every decision you make, evaluate them based on those verses. Now, my intention today had just been to simply sort of share a little bit about where where I had come from um, and then a little bit about how we got there. And this process of what we call biblical evaluation is very much how we got to where we were going. We just took things before the Lord and set them up and the Lord basically made an opportunity for us to go to New Zealand. We're citizens of New Zealand now. Um, you know, like I say, my daughter's 16. Um, said first, she thinks Americans are weird, you know. Um, you know I, I remember I was saying something. We were downtown, and Rotorua is a very touristy. Uh, it's the most visited place in New Zealand. Um, very touristy. And we were walking around behind some Americans, and they were pretty typical, you know, big cigar, baseball hat, you know, and uh, very loud. And uh, my daughter looks at me, she goes, Americans, you know. And I'm like... Honey, you're born in San Luis General, okay? I don't know where you're going with this, but it's uh, probably not going to work. And we've been there, you know, for about five years in Rotorua, and the Lord's moving. It, it has been, Rotorua is an exceptionally dark town. There is a, a, a Wairua, or a, or a spirit, upon the town because of the the very pagan aspects of Maori culture, the Maori have only known the Lord for 150 years. Now you may say, well, that's a pretty long time. Really? You, you know, how, how about Western Europe? How long have they known the Lord? And they're, they're still not getting it right, you know? Um, I did a wedding about two months ago, and the, the gal had come from a pretty Christian family. She sings in our worship team. Her husband, the, the husband's family, he was the first person ever to be married. Okay, oh, you mean like in a long time. No. There was Adam and Eve, okay? And the next marriage in this family was this guy, okay? <laughs> Basically. They, his mom had never been into a church building. His mom had never been to a wedding. Mom and dad are, they call it partners in New Zealand. Oh, is this your partner? No, it's my wife. Okay, it's different. It's not my, and it's totally socially acceptable over there. So you're ministering in a different 
cultural context. There's different things that we're trying to, you know, I, I just couldn't relate to that, that these people had just been sort of, you know, running around sort of, you know, half naked in the bush, you know, 100 years ago, and now they're coming into a Christian walk. No one had ever been married in this family. So it's, it's an interesting to put the words that I was shared growing up here and, and sort of being involved in this fellowship and learning the word here in a totally different context. From there, we've started to go out a bit. We're going on a mission trip to Tonga, um, which is about 800 miles. It's actually the closest country to New Zealand. It's closer than, I'm sorry, the kingdom of Tonga. 100,000 people. I don't know how you get a kingdom out of that. But anyways, uh, it's closer than Australia. Australia's about 1,000 miles away. Tonga's about 800. Um, We're starting a residential Bible college campus. Um, It's one of the seven sister campuses of Calvary Chapel Bible College at Marietta. And we've got a fellow, Mark Walsh, who's been involved with the castle in Austria and helped plant the Bible College Invite You Hungry, uh, the Eastern European outreach there. Uh, he's worked with many who have been sent out from this church to the Ukraine. Uh, he, he worked with a lot of folks there. He's a fantastic guy, he and his wife Gwen. But they're church planters. They have 178 missionaries that they have worked direct, kids who came into Bible College, learned about the Lord, and then were sent. 178 on the mission field right now. After 10 years in Vaitya, they've planted 28 churches and they've buried four people on the mission field. The thing I love about Mark is he's a doer. He doesn't just tell people about the word. He actually pushes them out the door, casts them out the door. And so we, we, were, we have a situation where we're on a 150-acre ranch that my wife and I live on. Um, it's a Christian camp. We were asked to be um, the the pastoral staff there. I still don't know what that is. It basically means I drink coffee and ride horses. Um, It's a lovely place. We we live there and they've offered us 20 bed spaces and a classroom to do our Bible college. Uh, It's there in the New Zealand bush. It's a lovely area. We have a couple bed spaces left. We've got some day students, and the Lord's moving. If you would be interested in coming and, and learning and maybe have a desire to serve in the sort of the, the Pacific Rim, sort of Australia, New Zealand, uh, Tonga, Samoa, Fiji, Niue, uh, Nukafaloa, you know, any of those areas, if you would desire to come and be involved there, get plugged in. We're going to be doing a church plant about an hour south of us. We've got about four families coming along. Uh, they drive an hour most Sundays to come up, and we're going to do a church plant. And we're going to let the Bible college students do it. Go. <laughs> let us know how it goes. We've got access to a, to a school building, to a, like, sort of like a hall in the classrooms. And we want the kids to go out and sort of just, you know, teach once, sh- you know, show once, do once. And, and that's where we're at. I, I'm not sure what's going to continue to happen throughout the years. My wife and I have a desire to plant churches. Um, I don't know how long we're going to be in Rotorua. It's getting to a place. We're praying about going to two services. We're expanding the ministry a bit with a children's ministry area and a, a cafe outreach, like I was saying, below us. Um, it's getting comfortable now. <laughs> I need to find a hot spot to go into, you know what I mean, and sort of start picking away at dirt again, just hammering on the rocks until they start to break. We've got a couple guys raised up who will take over the church one day. Um, God's replicating what he's done. And you can sit here, folks, in the comfort, and it is comfortable, of the central coast of California and never step out and do anything. 
Now, when you step out and do something, the Lord may keep you right here because this is an expanding ministry as well. And there's opportunities, I'm sure, in children's ministry, like Brian was saying, volunteers of this family week. My ministry experience started with Brian letting me make coffee back when the Seventh-day Adventist church. And then I graduated from coffee making up to uh, putting out some of the chairs, I think, when we had to add the chairs to the pews there. Then I got to move on to the door. Where, and I did that for several years, where I was sort of doing what Ken and those guys do here, just handing out bulletins and stuff. And Brian was, he, the thing he kept driving home was, Scott, faithfulness. Faithfulness. And so our desire is to do the exact same thing, is to commit these things to faithful men and let them go. Let them go and do. Because when we get settled here, People say, oh, you have to go, oh, it must be hard being a missionary in New Zealand. You know, oh, oh. okay, if you want to upset me, say that, okay? Because at the end of the day, I live 10,000 kilometers from my family. You know, in five days, I get to go see two nephews that I've never met before because I live 10,000 kilometers away. People are dying who don't know the Lord where I live. Yeah, it's a beautiful country. It's lovely, and the people are fantastic, but they don't, not all of them are saved, and they don't know the Lord. And so I don't know what the Lord is calling you to do, but I know he's calling you to do something. For some of you, you may be at that turning point where it is obvious what's going to happen next. Or, or maybe not obvious, but it's obvious that you're at a turning point at least. And for others of you, you're saying, Scott, I get up and I go to work on Monday, just like I did for the last 10 years, and I don't know what's going on. You know what? God has a plan. And as Brian says, you're, you're on mission. Have you treated it like that? Have you treated your job like that? Have you treated school like that? Have you treated the social events that you're in like that? So I encourage you to remember you're not your own. The things that you do, are they helpful to you? If they are, for you, what is the effect they're going to have on others? And will you glorify God? And as you glorify God, you're going to do it by being a doer of the word and not a hearer only. One of the things, we have a vibrant fellowship. They're, you, know, you guys are a little, little reserved for my taste. That's fine. That's fine. You know? But they, they all say, they go, amen! You know? And they sort of, they, they, they laugh more at my jokes, and I appreciate that. But <laughs> the reality is, is that one of the things I say to them, I say, hey, stop, wait. Don't confuse amen with action. You know, because the same people say, amen, brother, sanctified life. You know, the same guy's going out, sparking up a cigarette when I'm giving the altar call, you know? Don't confuse an amen. Say, yeah, I agree with that. Great. What are you going to do about it? I'm going to end with a portion of scripture here in John chapter 13. Uh, Matthew chapter 7 will make it. Matthew chapter 7 verse 24. It says, Therefore whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Do you guys notice that within this parable here, the difference between the two is not the hearing. What's the difference between the wise and the foolish man? It was the doing. If you want to come to New Zealand, short term, long term, 
visit. We've got plenty of room. We'd love to have you. If you want to step out and maybe think about ministering that area, there are prodigious needs within my nation. But whatever you do, whatever you've heard today, make sure you go and do it. Amen? Amen. Don't confuse amen with action. <laughs> Father God, we thank you for this word, Lord. We thank you for who you are, what you've shown us and done us, done for us, Lord, through the cross. And we, Lord, we just sit here today in awe of your grace and your mercy, Lord. I thank you so much for the baptisms that they've had recently. I pray each one of those people would go, Lord, and make disciples so that others would enjoy the beauty of that relationship that they have with you now. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. We're going to respond to the Lord right now. We're going to, the way we respond is by singing, giving our tithes and our offerings to the Lord. Again, you know, you say this weekly, but if you're one of our guests, please don't feel any obligation to give. It's a way for those of us who love this body, love this church, part of this family, can give back joyfully. Um, we'll partake of communion. And uh, one of the things I want to say with regard to that as well is... Communion is something, there's a lot of things that we do together here as a big group. You know, we can listen to Bible studies, we can sing songs, we can do stuff like that. But there's some things that we do that are sort of exclusive. It's exclusive to families. It's exclusive to people that have been uh, redeemed and part of Christ's family, Christ's relationship. They have a relationship with Christ. And the thing that marks that relationship is, is, is a repentance and a humility and a love for Christ. And what we do is when we partake of communion, we, we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. The, the bread, we drink the cup, it reminds us of that. And the reason is why Paul says, when you take it, don't do it unworthily. Meaning, straight up, if you're in sin, I mean, if there are things that you're living in your heart and you're just unrepentant about, don't partake. Without first confessing your sin. This is not about being perfect. It's not about, you know, I sinned yesterday. Am I okay? Really, it's a matter of, do you have a repentant heart? Do you feel bad? Do you sense that you want to change? Do you find yourself in darkness and you long to be in the light? Do you know that very desire to be in the light, to walk in the light, to be with God is an act of faith? The only reason why you want that is because God has done a work in your heart. Yeah, partake. Bottom line is this, we want hearts of, that are like Christ, where we confess sin, where we draw near to God. We're going to sing, we're going to worship, we're going to confess our sin, we'll partake of communion together, we'll give joyfully, gladly, generously, because God's worth it. So I'm going to pray, and let's jump in. Jesus, thank you for the cross. We sing to you right now. We give you this time, be glorified, confess sin to you. We remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. And God, we want to do all things that we do to the glory of God. Not because that's another rule, but because our hearts have been transformed and we love you. We love you. So God, let this time be devoted to you. Let us lift our hearts of song and praise and worship and love and adoration and affection to you.